In this series, if you've just joined us for a while, we've been in this series uh, talking about with everything and what it means to love God with everything. And the scriptures tell us in in the book of Luke, uh, when a a religious leader, a a teacher, a lawyer uh, of the law basically comes to Jesus and he asks them this question. He says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Like, what are the steps? What's the greatest commandment? What's the law? And so Jesus throws it back on them. And if you have your Bibles, we've been looking at Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 28. It says, one day, An expert of religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Uh, this is a harken back when he says, what does the law of Moses say? He's talking about a prayer that Moses gave the Israelites that they would pray twice a day called the Shema. And, and this is a prayer that would encompass this commandment. And so we've talked about uh, every week one portion of that because I think if we really consider it, we love God, but do we love God with everything? And so what does it look like to love God with all your heart? What does it look like to love God with all your soul? What does that look like piece by piece? Because I think we might have some of it, but maybe we don't have all of it. And the Bible isn't saying, hey, love the Lord your God with either your heart or either your soul or either your strength. He's saying with all of those encompassing aspects to make the totality of your love for God. And so we started by talking about what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then last week we talked about the difference between loving God with your heart and loving God with all your soul. And this morning I wanna fixate on one that I was probably the most excited about, which is what does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your mind? Because truth be told, we, we understand that the heart is an organ. It's, it's not necessarily a place where there's emotions and feelings. Most of this stuff comes from the mind. And the battlefield of the mind is probably the most complicated battlefield we will have in our lives. The mind is a ridiculously powerful thing, stronger than any supercomputer we've been able to invent, faster than anything you can comprehend as far as its comprehension, its computing power. The brain is literally a marvel of God's creation. It is insane what your brain is capable of doing, so much so that it's doing it half the time and you don't even realize it. The brain is incredibly, incredibly powerful, and so is the mindset that we create with our brain. See, the thing is, we all have our mind affected by something. Our minds are all shaped and formed in one way or another. It could be shaped and formed on your culture. It could be shaped and formed on where you grew up. It could be shaped and formed on who educated you, on where you were educated, on what you studied, on what you fixated your mind on. Your mind is ridiculously powerful and it's ridiculously formed. Right? Over the years, we form our mind and we shape and shift it and we move it and we malleate it into what we're supposed to be doing and the direction of our thinking. See, I believe that true knowledge of God always bears a greater love for God. How can we love a God we don't know? See, it's one thing to say I love God with my feelings, with my emotions. It's another thing to say I love God with everything in me, with my soul. But do you love God here? 
Can you comprehend your love for God? Do you understand the one that you love and why you love him? Oftentimes, my wife and I, we would do this when uh, we would look at each other and she would, the one who really started this, I remember I'd look at her and I would just say, I love you. You know, trying to score a point or two while I'm chilling on the couch. And she would hit me back with the, why? What do you mean, why? Why did you say that right now? Like, what prompted that? You know, she was checking me to make sure I wasn't just throwing things out there facetiously. She's like, no, no, you said you love me, why? And it was an important question because before that, in any other relationship, I never really considered why I said that. At least not in the moment. It's a general I love some, but is there a specific reason? And so I've learned over the years that whenever my wife asks me why, I better have a specific reason. So I'll say something like, I love you, and she'll respond with, why? Well, I just love the way you're teaching our girls to love the Lord the way you have Sunday school with them and the way uh, Josie's starting to memorize scripture and, and starting to know. I just love the way you teach our children. And I try to come up with something different every time. But it's not just for her. It's not just for the brownie points. I better know why I love that woman. I better have an understanding cognitively on why I love her because if it's just emotions, if it's just an infatuation, what's going to happen the days when I don't feel like that? What's going to happen in the days where she upsets me, where, where she gets on my nerves, where, where my feelings aren't there, where I'm going through a slump or I'm going through a hard time when I'm just not feeling well, how do I love somebody then? And I think that's the problem a lot of us have in our love for God is our love for God has been limited by our heart for God. And so when our heart's not in it, neither is our love. And so when circumstances around us start to affect our emotions, it begins to affect our relationship with God. And we start to say things like, I just don't feel God anymore. I just don't feel like God's around anymore. I just don't know if God loves me anymore. I just don't feel like God's in this. How can we claim to love someone we don't know? God knows you, and so it's easy for him to love us first. But in order to love God back, we must grow in our knowledge and understanding of who God is. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 8 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. The very essence of what love is comes from a knowledge of who God is. So not only is it hard for you to love God without knowing him, it's really impossible for you to love anybody without knowing God. The pursuit of God and the understanding of who God is, the knowledge of Christ is so critical to your walk with the Lord that if you don't have it, I would argue that maybe you don't really love God. I think you think you do. Listen, I've done youth ministry long enough to see people who think they're in love. They, they, you talk to a 12-year-old, they, they swear up and down they're in love. This, no, I'm going to marry this person. I'm, gonna, I'm like, two weeks from now, you are going to hate that person with everything in you. No, you don't understand. No, I, I very much understand. Been there a, a, way too many times. Totally get it. And, and as you're older, you kind of almost laugh it off. You're like, oh, sweet kid kind of thing. But you understand it's not that they don't really feel that. It's that they just don't understand it yet because cognitively they haven't reached that level of maturity yet. No knock on you young people, I love you, but I'm just, just trying to tell you. And so it's the same thing. Some of us will sing songs and we'll lift up hands. We'll even cry. We'll get very emotional thinking about God in our hearts and in our feelings, but you don't know him. You have no rational understanding of the character of God, of who he is, of how he acts, of how he feels about you and why he feels that way. 
And so you limit your relationship with God because you limit it to an infatuation and not a clear understanding. So how do we know God more? What do we have to do in order to grow in that? And let me make sure I'm clear on this. The knowledge of God growing in that is a lifelong pursuit until we stand before him face to face. No one in this room has reached the full knowledge of God. No one in this room is at the point where they go, no, I know God better than anybody on the planet. Okay, nobody is at that level. We are in a constant pursuit. And that's kind of the beauty of it. That's the joy of this relationship with God. It's continually growing in my knowledge and understanding of who he is and what he wants for my life. And so if you're gonna know God more, there's a few things we need to do when it comes to our minds. And the first one is this. We need to shift our minds. I told you earlier that everybody has a mindset. Everybody has a way of thinking. And once you say yes to Jesus, you are now shifting the way you think. I used to think this way, but now I got to start thinking that way. I, I used to think like this, but now as I've grown in the knowledge and understanding of who God is, my mindset has began to change. And this is very important because it's very difficult to unlearn things. We all have habits. Habits are simply repetitive mindsets that have sunk in and become autopilot. It's things that we don't even think about. It's just what we do. So sometimes it's even hard to recognize what aspect of our mind needs shifting because we don't even think about that anymore. It's just so automatic. Like I just, I just automatically fly off the handle when that happens or I just automatically reply with that inappropriate joke. It's just, it's an automatic. They don't even think about it. And yet the Bible tells us we have to shift our minds in order to be able to grow in our understanding of who God is and what he wants for our lives. Listen, Romans chapter 12, verse two says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This isn't anything foreign to us. We all have mind shifts in different phases of our life and different things of our life. When you get married, you can't think like a single person anymore because you're not single no more, right? When you get married, you can't just go and do what you want to do and be like, hey, babe, I'll be back. You better tell them where you're going, what you're going to do when you get there. My wife has a tracker on my phone. I hate that tracker, but <laughs> she, she, she tracks me on my phone for safety reasons. And there are times when she's just like, ew, why are you eating McDonald's? I'm like, shut up, lady, leave me alone. <laughs> like, I'm on a four-hour drive in the middle of nowhere. This is the best restaurant this town has. Like, like but again, like, she needs to know where I'm at. And so uh, when I got married, my mindset had to change. When I had kids, my mindset had to change, right? Like, I don't even get the big piece of chicken anymore. Like, everybody in my house likes white meat. I got to settle for wings. Like, like it's just... But why? It's, these are my kids. They, they come before me. Like that my mindset shifts. And every stage of life, your mindset shifts. And if it doesn't shift, you get left behind. And you better start thinking different when you get into high school versus when you're in grammar school or you're going to end up in grammar school a lot longer than you thought you wanted to be. You better shift your mindset when you get to that new job because it's not like when you were working at Chuck E. Cheese anymore. Things are a little bit different in this place. And so everything requires a mind shift or you get shifted out. And in the same way, when you say yes to Jesus, you can't think the way you used to think anymore. Okay, listen, you can't think like Christ and have a hood mentality at the same time. You gotta leave some of that behind. 
You can't think like God and have this nationalistic mindset. You got to leave that behind. You can't think like God and then think like every other man and woman on this earth who does everything else that pleases them. You're not them anymore. So there's a mind shift that has to change. There's a mindset that has to move in a different direction because what you set your mind to is the direction that you end up going in. And a lot of us are wondering, how come I'm not growing in my relationship with God? Because it's a mental block. Because your mind is fixated on other things. Your mind is on the pursuit of happiness. God never promised that. Your mind is on bigger gains and and, and bigger houses and bigger finances. And why? Because that's the mindset that this world offers. It's all consumerism. It's all material. We even do that with the church, right? When we pick churches, very rarely is it God called me here. It's a consumer mindset. I like the way this guy preaches. I like the way this guy sings. I like the program that you have for my kids. I like that. And I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. But a lot of times when we're choosing churches, we're like, well, I wanted to go to your church, but this church had a better blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, thanks. (laughs) That makes me feel great. (laughs) And there's no wonder why a lot of pastors have this competitive feeling against other churches. Because it almost feels like we're competing to win over people. And and I thank God I constantly try to battle that mindset. That's why I wanted to pray for our brother. Because I wanted to make sure we understand we are not in competition with anybody else. And we can allow the mindset of others to dictate the mindset of God that has within us. And so you got to be able to shift your mind. you got to be willing to transform and renew your mind. So how do we do that? We strengthen it through the word. Number two, if you're taking notes, we have to be willing to strengthen our minds. The word of God is the only thing that's gonna be able to shift that mindset. You have to be intentional. You have to meditate on God's word. You have to let it soak in. You have to allow the word of God to dictate the way you think. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. How can you know God and then not know his word when God said he is his word? It's an impossibility. So there are so many of you who have an imagination or an idea that you've created or that has been created on who you think God is when God has already plainly written out exactly who he is. And so instead of looking at God's word, studying God's word and understanding what God says about himself, we go based on what we feel like we think God should be. Like, uh, I like God with like, you know, little baby Jesus. That's the kind of God I want, like the innocent, sweet baby Jesus or tuxedo shirt wearing Jesus. Like, I don't know. Like we come up with these weird types of Jesus. Like I like a Jesus that lets me do this and lets me do that. And we create within our mindset, this fabricated Jesus. When Jesus said, no, I explicitly told you who I am. I very clearly laid out how I feel about this situation and that situation. And either your mind has to shift or mine does. And God ain't shifting his mind. I remember one time, I had an assignment with some young leaders that I was training up, and uh, the assignment was, uh, I need you to answer these very you know, complicated questions that we often get throughout ministry, and I want you to give me your best biblical answer. And so a young lady came up to me with the question that she had, and she said, well, I just don't think this is wrong. I go, no problem. The assignment is to give me your best biblical response. So you got 40 minutes, go ahead and write your best biblical response to support what you believe. And so she came back to me about 30 minutes later. I can't find anything in the Bible that supports that. I go, well, then either you're right and the Bible's wrong or the Bible's right and you're wrong. But one of those things is true. 
And so a mind shift begins to happen when you allow the scriptures to dictate how you think as opposed to the rest of the world. Because contrary to popular belief, you don't decide what you think. What you spend the most time on decides what you think. What you allow your mind to focus on dictates what you think. So listen, Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 17 through 24 says this, with the Lord's authority, I say this. You know he's about to scold you when, when he's like pulling the authority card, right? He goes, guys, this is not my opinion. I am speaking on behalf of God. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame, They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. I mean, that is very clear. There is a whole world out there that thinks they're incredibly smart. That, that if you've noticed more and more, especially uh, popular-wise, more and more, people want spirituality, they don't want God. So they want everything that comes with God, all the, the spirituality, and they just give it different names, right? So they say, hey, the, the universe wants this for you, or, or hey, we're, we're putting positive energy in there for you, or hey, good vibes. They're, they're trying to attribute it to gemstones and to uh, uh, signs and the stars and, and everything that God created because they recognize that there is power on this earth. They just don't want to recognize who it comes from. Because if they recognize who it comes from, now they have to bow down to that authority. And so it's a lot easier for me to create my own source of all this power because then I have power over that power. But if I attribute all that to God, now God has authority over me. And a lot of people don't like that. And so what do they do? They shift the mindset. They shift their mindset. And listen, be careful. Because you can easily get slipped up in that same thought process. You can easily get slipped up in that same thinking. And that's why he says, hey, listen, be careful. They wander off. They've closed their minds. You are not like that anymore. You are different. You learned about Christ. And since you've heard about Jesus, you've learned the truth that comes from him. Some of us will never get to that point if we don't learn the truth. And because we don't learn God's truth, we create our own truth. And that's what you're seeing more commonly now all over the place is people with their own truths. And, and that's kind of the argument. You got your truth, I got my truth. I'm sorry, there's only one truth. And my word says that God dictates what is true and what is not. And so when I allow God to tell me what's true, it makes life a lot easier because now I'm not guessing no more. Now I'm not arguing with nobody no more. I'm not in a discussion with you on whether this is true or not. God's already told me it's true. I know it's true. So I stand on God's word, not on your opinion. We have to be careful to not allow our minds to wander and to drift into these good sounding theologies and thinkings. We have to strengthen our minds through God's word. Church, it's hard in the beginning. It takes a lot of mental power. But after a while, you start to get the hang of it. That's how your brain works. 
Think about when you first started driving, those of us in this room who can drive. Some of you think you can drive, but I'm saying the ones who can drive. I've seen the parking lot after church. I know not all of you can drive. But those of us who drive, I remember when I was a kid, I was getting closer to that age of driving. I, I kid you not, this is a true story. I remember I was, I was very nervous. I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna drive. I remember hearing my sister rattle off all the streets and I'm like, how does she memorize all the streets? I'm never gonna know all the streets. Like I was so nervous, this giant. And when you first start driving, like you're kind of just sitting by it and you realize how extra focused you are. You have never been more 10 and two white knuckle than when you're first starting to drive. You follow all the rules, right? Like you got everything, you fix all the mirrors. You are so fixated and focused focused on everything you're doing. So I was scared, I was nervous. I don't wanna die in a car crash. I don't wanna have this horrible opportunity. Like it made me nervous. Until one day I saw my friend's brother driving. And I remember, I literally remember thinking, if that idiot can drive, I can drive. Cause man, he was dumb as a pile of rocks. I'm like, if that, if that dummy can drive, I can drive. <laughs> right? But here, when you start driving, now, for those of you who have been driving for a while, you don't even think about it. You ever, this is dangerous, you ever got home and you even, you're like, oh, snap, I'm home. Like, you weren't even thinking, you're just like, that was dangerous. Like, I just, I just pulled into my driveway and I had no idea. Like, I was on such an autopilot because that's how your brain works. So here's what I'm saying all that for. The more time you stay focused on God's word, the more that's gonna come up in your heart when you need it. See, there are some of us who are like, I just don't know what to do. You can't withdraw what you haven't deposited. So the more of God's word you deposit, the more you can withdraw when you need it. The more you can pull out and say, this is what I need to do and this is where I need to go. So we have to be willing to shift our mindsets. We have to be willing to strengthen our minds. But here's the third thing. We have to submit our minds. It's one thing knowing, it's another thing doing. Right? Again, just going back to reading, I, I know you're like me. There have been times where I'm reading a book. I'm not a big fan of reading books. I do it because I need to do it and I want to grow. But have you ever like read a book and you've been reading like three pages and your eyes were going, but your mind stopped working? Like your eyes are doing it, but you, you stopped reading like a while ago. You're like, you're thinking about all these other things and you're like, oh, I got to read all three pages all over again because your eyes kept doing the work and your eyes like, brain, you going to catch up to us anytime soon? We have to submit our minds to what God tells us. We have to be willing to understand what God is saying and then apply it to our lives. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse four through five. For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. Now, this is good, okay? Pay attention to what the author of Corinthians is saying here, okay? The weapons we have, it's not of the flesh. We're not talking about the battlefield, of hand-to-hand -hand combat. We're talking about the battlefield of the mind. It's a fight for what you think. And we destroy the arguments and the lofty opinion that is raised against the knowledge of God. So what does that mean? That means God says this, and then everybody else has their opinion to say that's not true. And if you're not careful and you pay more attention to everyone else's opinion, you ignore God's truth. 
And so that's why I'm telling you, whoever gets the most attention wins. If you give God the most attention, that'll be the set of your mind. If you give the world the most attention, that'll be the mindset that you have. And so there's this constant battle that is going on for your brain, for your mindset. And what the scriptures are telling us is we're able to destroy every argument and opinion that is raised against the knowledge of God if we obey Christ and take those thoughts and bring it captive to Jesus. Here's what that means. Okay, here's what that means. There's a thought that's floating around in your head that's not of God. There's a thought, everyone hates you. Nobody cares about you. You're alone in this world. No one will ever want you. We take that thought and we submit it to Christ. In other words, we say, God, is that you? God, is that true? And then the Lord tells us through his word, no, because I've already told you, I'll never leave you or forsake you. No, I've already told you that I love you, that I died for you, that you are loved beyond the magnitude of love. So God's truth destroys the lie of the enemy. And this is the practice that we have to have. This is the practice that we have to have because in life, there are constant thoughts. What if there is no God? God, are you there? Yeah, all right, there's a God. <laughs> Easy breezy, baby. Because here's the problem. When you get up to, and listen, people are convincing. I once convinced a girl they were fish in the sky. Like, it is not hard. I, I was like, yeah, you know, because there's like these microorganisms, like these fish, they're tiny, and they get caught up in evaporation, and then they get up in the sky, and they're in the clouds. And she was like, wow. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's not hard to create an idea and convince somebody of something. It's very easy to be manipulated if you don't know the truth. If you don't know God's truth, then you'll believe anyone else's lies. And so how do we combat the lies of this world? How do we combat the lofty opinions and the arguments that people use to try to uh, disembowel your whole theology and your whole understanding of who God is? We take every one of those thoughts and we don't bring them to Pastor Joey and we don't bring them to our neighbors and we don't bring them to our friends. We bring them to the Lord. We bring it to scripture. We say, what does this look like within the context of scripture? God, is this you or is this not you? And I'm telling you, more often than not, the Lord will speak if he hasn't already spoken. The Lord will tell you, that's not me. That's not what I sound like. That's not what I would tell you. That's not how I would act with you. And the more you know God, the more you recognize that voice. The more you know God, the easier it is to defunct all the other voices when they come up about. In the same way, I know my wife really, really well. So somebody comes to me and says, your wife said blah, blah, blah. I would know if that was my wife or not. My wife wouldn't do that. Hey, your wife did blah, blah, blah. No, she didn't. I know my wife. That's not what my wife would do. And I don't want to come up with examples because she's watching and I don't want to get in trouble because my mouth can get it because I know my wife. <laughs> so I'm not going to give you examples of what I'm doing. I'm just saying, if somebody were to claim my wife is doing something that I know she wouldn't do, it's easy to, to be able to dismiss that because I know my wife. Some of us have a hard time dismissing things that aren't of the character of God because we don't know the character of God. And we don't know the character of God because we haven't studied his word. We have more access to scripture than anyone has ever had in the face of this earth. Think about that. Right now, at this point, humanity has greater access to scripture than ever before. And we don't read it. And we don't study it. And we'd rather walk in ignorance 
blindly feeling things out with our emotions as opposed to picking up the book. And I've said this a million times to our young people, and I'm sorry if this offends you, but I've always felt you got to be a special kind of dumb to fail an open book test. You ever had a classmate that failed an open book test? I'm like, bro, you tried to fail that class. And God has given us an open book test in life. It's on you if you don't open the book. So we have to be willing to submit our minds to what that book says. And then we have to set our minds. To set your mind means to fixate it in this direction. I am setting my watch at this time. I am setting my eyes in this direction. To set my mind means this is where I'm going. Colossians chapter three, verse two says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. See, the enemy, he doesn't have to change your mind as long as he can distract your mind. If he can keep your attention away from God, then he got you. It's easy. I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to, he doesn't have to make you a Satan worshiper. He doesn't have to make you running around doing evil things or a criminal. He doesn't have to go that far. All he has to do is distract you. Get your mind off of it. I used to joke, I had a buddy of mine that, that was always my partner in FIFA. We, we would play FIFA together and it was two on two we'd play. And I loved him, but I also hated because he was so easily distracted. So whenever I played against him, having known him, I would, in the middle of the game, I would just start a conversation. And I would like bring a job. And then midway, he would just start looking at me and not look at the game. And then I would score a goal on him. And he'd get all mad. I'm like, bro, you're just too, you're so easy to distract. Some of us, it's not that we don't know God, it's that we're too distracted from God. And listen, sometimes, most times, it's not bad things that distract us. It's good things. It's things that we want that, that maybe aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but our focus has been shifted on that. Again, going back to when I first started driving, early on, I got kind of comfortable pretty quickly in driving. And I remember I was driving the car one time, my friends were in the back, and I, I, I was saying something. I was like, yeah, it's a, and they're screaming at me, look straight. And I was like, oh, my bad, my bad, right? <laughs> I thought I could just turn around and talk to them. Why? Because I'm driving. I'm used to driving. I guess I wasn't that used to driving. <laughs> and listen, some of us, the problem isn't that we don't believe God or we don't trust God. It's just that our eyes are not on God. Our mind is not on God. Romans chapter eight, verse five through eight. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are of the flesh cannot please God. This is a hard lesson for a lot of us because we want to gratify the flesh. The flesh are, are the things that bring pleasure to us in life. It, it's the things that we desire. And so here's an example. The flesh can be rainy Sunday morning. I'd rather stay home and sleep in. It's just one Sunday. And that's true. I mean, you're not going to go to hell because of one Sunday. But one Sunday easily becomes two Sundays, easily becomes three Sundays, easily becomes where you've been. Oh, well, you know, you can still love God and, and not go to church. I mean, that's true, but what did Tony Evans say? You can love your wife, but stay home long enough and watch if you don't have marriage problems or stay away from home long enough. 
We, we need to be able to be here and we need to be able to focus on what God is trying to, to get us to do. But if your mindset is stuck on the flesh, on the things that gratify your desires, as opposed to on the spirit, your spirit will die and your flesh will grow. But instead, what we ought to do is feed our spirit and starve our flesh. And how do we feed our spirit? By fixing our thoughts on things above, not on things below. So some of us, listen, we have you know, mindsets that have gone away. Let's say you're going through a difficult time and you're depressed and you're upset. And instead of fixing your eyes on things above, you start listening to sad music and sad shows and get around sad people. I don't know why I'm in this funk. Because you surrounded yourself with sad, bitter, angry people. And that's, you ever notice how like, I mean, those people, they find each other. Miserable people can easily find miserable people. And then, you know, they all, misery loves company. They all like to just hang out and talk about how much life stinks. I can, listen, one thing for me, I know myself, I cannot be around Debbie Downers too long. It's draining from me. Like it just takes, it's, it's too much. If you're constantly whining and complaining about something, don't be surprised if I excuse myself after a while. You're too much. I just can't. Like I'm just, I'm trying to float up here, guys. You're sinking and I just can't do that. Instead, set your minds on things above. I'm not saying ignore what's going on, but don't fixate on it. It's like when you have pain. The more you think about what hurts, the more it hurts. But once you start thinking about something else, it takes your mind off of the pain a little bit. And some of us, we're masochistic. We're suckers for it. We're just like thinking about how terrible life is and how horrible everything is and how everything is miserable. But I want to fix my eyes on things above. That doesn't change sometimes the circumstances below, but where I set my mind is a direction that I'm gonna go. Meaning, yes, I'm in a temporary situation, or I'm in a difficult situation, but I'm going through it, I'm not living in it. And the only way to come out of that is to set my mind on things above. Pastor Jason, worship team, if you can help me out. So we have to shift our minds. We have to strengthen our minds. We have to submit our minds and we have to set our minds. And I'll give you one more little bonus here. We have to settle our minds. What I mean by settling your mind is you have a choice on where you let your mind wander. You have a choice. You don't always have a choice on what happens to you, but you do have a choice on the mindset that you choose to have after it happens. You get to decide. It's not an easy decision, but it is a decision that you have. You have to settle what you're gonna think about. You have to settle that for yourself. I think generally I'm a very positive individual. I just, even in the worst of times, I just think about the goodness of God. I tend to think about the grand scheme of things. I'm not down too long. Maybe because I find it too exhausting. But at the same time, I, I fix my thoughts. I settle them on things that are higher than that. I love what the author of Philippians says in Philippians chapter four, verse eight. And I was tempted to do a whole another sermon on this. So I might one day. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about those things. Now, it took me a while to learn from it. When I was a kid, I did that. I remember when I would get into a funk, I would try to shift my mindset. One of the things I did, uh, even just as a, like, a young man, I remember I'd watch Monsters, Inc. I don't know why. I think it was Boo. I thought Boo was the cutest thing. And I'm like, I just can't be sad when I see this cute little thing. Some people look at videos of puppies and, you know, whatever. Like, people do things to try to shift their mindset. And I'm not saying that's bad, but I think that's more distraction than it is settling. I don't want to be distracted in that, hey, this is bad. Let me look at something else. I want to settle my mind on what is true. Yes, difficult things are happening. But what's true? What's noble? What's right? What's pure? What's lovely? Oh, did you see all the craziness that is happening in our city? And I did. But did you also see all those amazing people that are trying to do something about it? Oh, did you realize that there's trafficking and how could God, yes, I understand and, and all those things are terrible. Do you realize there are people who have given their lives to help that? Yes, you can always point to bad things, but I can also point to good things. And I can set my mind in a different direction. See, true knowledge of God always bears a greater love for God. So when my mind starts to wander, I just think back to the Lord. When my mind starts to fade and go into dark places, I look back at the light. And I say, God, I need to look at you. I need to see you. Because right now, I'm not in a good mental space. Right now, I'm really going through it. And it's not easy. And I need you. Church, I'm going to ask you to stand. You know, it's been a hard couple of weeks here at our church. We've had multiple funerals in the last few days, grieving loss, going through some stuff. And as I go through that myself, I've learned not to ignore it, but to go through it and allow the Holy Spirit to guide me, but to keep my eyes on God in the midst of all of that. To fixate on what is right, on what is true, on what is lovely, on what is pure, on what is good. And so in a moment, I wanna invite you to worship. And some would say, yeah, but with all that, I don't feel like worshiping. Here's the trick to worship. I'm gonna help you out because this is wonderful. Worship is not about a feeling. Worship is about knowing. I don't worship because I feel like God's good. I worship because I know that God's good. I, I don't worship because I feel like things are going okay. I worship because I know that my God is in control. I don't worship because I think everything's going to work out. I worship because I know that God works all things out. So here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. You might be here this morning. You don't feel like worshiping. It's been a hard, hard time. But I want to invite you to shift your mind, to settle it on things above, to set your eyes on the Lord and allow him to fix your gaze. And so the worship team is gonna lead us in this song. And if you're in this place 
where you need that mind shift, where you need to focus on God, where it seems like everything around you is breaking loose and, and everything around you is trying to knock you down and you've been having a hard mental time, you've been emotional, depression is kicking in, anxiety is rising up, grief is settling in. I'm not asking you to escape, I'm asking you to lift up. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna open this altar and I'm gonna invite you to step out of your seat. And I know that's hard, but I want you to see you're not the only one. And if you're in a great place, I invite you to come out of your seats because some of us need you to worship near us. And we're gonna open this altar. We're gonna just give the Lord five minutes to worship him, to lift up our eyes, to be reminded not of what we feel, but of what we know, that you're a good God a loving God, a caring God, a God who hasn't abandoned us, a God who hasn't forgotten us, a God who is leading us, a God who is ministering to us, a God who is in it with us, a God who lifts us up in the miry clay. So come on, as the worship team sings, is that you? Would you step out of your seat and join me?